This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. We're sponsored by Neomodern.com, bringing concierge photo printing and framing to everyone with a smartphone. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neomodern, and grumpy old man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a special Thanksgiving edition of Everyday Photography, as I finish up my week without Suzanne here to keep the shows on track. I'm still in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and since I'm focusing on family stuff this week, I'm going to share a conversation I had with my brother Danny. We were in his studio on Thanksgiving morning talking about what we always talk about, photography and film and, you know, family. And I thought, why don't we turn on some of these microphones? Anyway, this is what happened. Tell me about the Gochiwa. Well, when Asa was like four, uh-huh. he and I would have these conversations about things and we would talk about the great meaning of life in, in sarcastic, fun, dramatic terms. And I have a video of him talking to me and the camera about the 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 meaning, the essence, the gochiwa. <laughs> and I loved it and it, it was enthusiastic and he was funny and he was four or something like that. Right. And I think he would love to see that now. That I would love 24. to see that. I would love to see that now. I, I don't know that. where it is. I know I Did, have seen it since I recorded it, so it exists in some f- digital form somewhere. And what? Twenty years ago, it was on some kind of. I had a camera that I thought uh, a movie uh, f- video you know, camera digital that uh, was three and a half inch hard disks. <laughs> Uh-huh. For recording, you could only get a certain amount, like a minute's worth of something onto it. But then you can just, you had the storage thing already there. You had what it was. It's magnetic. I don't, that stuff doesn't last forever. Well, there's that. Okay. I certainly have of boxes of old three and a half inch discs. And I'm guessing that's where it is. It might actually be on a high eight tape. Okay. That I have, or it could be on the next digital up from that, um, that came along. So, I mean, I'm looking at your shelf of old technology cameras and you can't use, why can't you use the, the one with the, you know, that scene from Apollo 13, <laughs> the one with the right uh, Ron Howard's movie yeah, uh-huh. where they have to, the engineers make have this. To, yes. <laughs> they're, they're using tubes and tape and, right. and trying to make this out of that. And that's what it looked like while I was trying to take the pieces of electronics <laughs> that I could find that I still have and piece them together from one machine to the other to try and play an, a, old, an tape. old tape just to be able to move it to a form that I can actually access it now it's uh, i i'm pretty well organized so i would know where that was but it's still hard to get you know i spend it's it's a project it's like a it's a real project to get a tape in an old format tape camcorder or whatever and what a firewire some sort of old cable format that will somehow connect to your new technology it's like oh god it's it really is brutal. It's not going to keep. It's not really getting solved. Or do you think this is just a transition period? People, thirty or forty, like older people, have got lots of different types of formats, but young people will not have this problem going forward. Or do you think that's going to 
persist that like there'll always be something new and you got to get it off of the old thing and onto the new thing it does our experience so far is it keeps evolving and and the partially it's because new technologies are available that are improvements and partially it's because the companies, the companies that make these things really yeah. have to have a model that they can keep their corporation going right so i i don't know that there's the answer i mean i thought the ter- i mean i have a like a terabyte raid with video on it and i and a separate one for sort of photos i want to keep these things backed up but like it's not a long-term solution it never is a long-term solution i kept thinking you'd never need more than a terabyte like that seemed like the biggest that was the library of congress when we were you know that's how much a terabyte was. a terabyte is like you're making up words for how large something is (sighs) what are you going to do actually what are you going to do how are you going to find? Well, you I used to, to go to Radio Shack and and you you say I want to go from this plug to that plug, and uh-huh. they'd say, "Oh, we have a, a shrink wrapped version of that right over here, twelve ninety five. It's gold tipped." <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. Those days are gone, so I don't know what you do. Is there someone to talk to? I I don't I don't know. The cloud will be the solution for a while until that becomes because then it's like you you're storing it elsewhere. And you still got to connect to it. it like, but it's it'll very... always connect through whatever your digital device is. I have never seen evidence that your connect that companies that own all of the parts of the system don't somewhere along the line change something that I can't get back to it. I can't log in. I don't use that email account anymore, and I haven't used it long and, enough. And that... by the way, what's email? That's two tech. That's two right iterations ago. You know, it's it, it needs a retinal scan, and like I, you know, I don't know. No, Some, you're right. There, it, that's I can't gonna happen. get to it anymore. And just like you're saying, you have these boxes of tapes that you can't access, maybe. And I, I, I mean, I sort of wonder why. Like, what are you gonna do with the tape? Like, what do you you find? This is a funny one. But like I look at all your life recorded and stored and how much time do you devote to like going back through it? Uh-huh. Like how many years? I haven't looked back at the tapes from two thousand from 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But I like having them. It seems like an important thing, but they get harder and harder to manage or know what's on them. Is that going to go away when everything's digital or is you just, are you still going to have some version of this, you know, where we now look at things holographically and I've got it all on these video f- high def memory cartridges and we're using quantum computers and we got to transfer it over and, you know, it's really the, the human interaction with your, your collected memory, with your, your, your past. Um, and that's always going to be kind of a constant, isn't it? That's always going to be one of those things that people do. They have some kind of relationship to their past, a keepsake or a photograph, you know, something. How much do you keep? Do you keep, you don't how keep much, everything. Right. What does it come down to? I mean, it used to be people didn't have so much and their lives weren't necessarily as, as, I, I don't know. I actually, I was going to make something up that I have no knowledge of. But <laughs> I was imagining a, like, you know, a, a 19th century 
someone who grew up on the coast somewhere who had this one encounter with a sailor <laughs> and spends the rest of her life looking out to sea and, and playing with, with the little the thing. The, the thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, he gave me his compass. You know. <laughs> and that becomes an heirloom, right? Then the kids, grandkids, the neighbors. Or what get was the that? Compass. And then it becomes junk to somebody and they throw it away. You know. Uh, but but this relationship to how much of your past you keep with you. I mean, that person also didn't have a lot of new stimulations coming in. So they the were living with had. their memory and reliving their few. I mean, I think of, of uh, Grandma Sarah used to tell this story of that, you know, that time when she and Al were in Torrance and they were young and, and um, Al said hey, let's drive up to L.A. and get some ice cream. And that was wild. And they <laughs> went up to L.A. and they got ice cream. They just went up just for the ice cream. And then they came back. She loves that story. That, that was a, a memory that she can chew really on, lick on for years. <laughs> <laughs> It, it wasn't an entire box full of, of photographs or a lifetime of collecting videos and, and arbitrary shots and snapshots and places visited. And Is that what sort of the, the end of life is supposed to be, of just like reclining back and re reliving moments of your flashing through moments of your life? Because you can't create new stuff anymore. Yeah, really. you're done generating new stuff. I don't know. Like I enjoying... think I think I bet the happy people are like good at generating new stuff, and they, and they couldn't care get... less about that old stuff. And there's no nostalgia. Like, yeah, is... yeah. Just let it go, man. But which, uh, for how long and when and when is it useful? Um, you know, you're how frequently way. do you go back through those boxes of photos and look at them, or whatever your collection is made out of? If you knew somebody who spent all of their time doing that that's like no i can't go out now i have to look through these photos i mean that's like a, a you'd that's say you, you're living in the past man <laughs> slap 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 get on with your life right okay or is 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 it okay to be like that for five minutes it's okay to be that for a week once in your life where where are the the limits and that's always changing so how often do you revisit the technology that you have and decide i'm going to keep it i'm going to go through the trouble of keeping it or we're moving to a new house i'm just going to throw out these boxes because you know what Start that's again. then that, yeah let's create new shit but we also end up lugging that stuff around like the metaphorically <laughs> in reality yep my apartment burned down remember Oh, who can remember how many apartments have burned down? And who I did moved, it? And I moved into who an, went to jail for it? <laughs> I moved into it. It was like after um, Jen and I split up, and I had this apartment full of all of the stuff that I got, you know, out of the house, the crap, and the sofa that I'd moved in with twenty years earlier. And now it was mine again, and uh, the company that I had, you know just built had crashed and I had all the files that you're obligated to keep and I'm living in my apartment in San Francisco and it's the 4th of July and the guys upstairs in the building have a barbecue on the roof and they put the ashes in the trash can in the basement and it torches the building and the building disappears and it just happened that I'd gone up to Santa Cruz you know down to Santa Cruz to be with Jonah so I wasn't there when it happened but all that shit went away and it 
Like, I get it. I understand. I suddenly understand arson. It's like clean slate. The company files were gone and all the old furniture from the from separating is gone. And I just got new stuff and started. You know, it's like, okay, whatever. Well, when, Shit happens. When we moved to, to Boston from Santa Fe and we'd lived here for um, 15 years and uh, had accumulated an awful lot of crap because we had plenty of room in the basement and there was plenty of room to just, <laughs> just spread it out. Why, why think about it? Just just put it in a box and throw it down there. And by the way, don't don't bother labeling it either. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so when we decided to go up to Boston, um, it started out with, okay, well, let's got to go through these boxes, decide what we're keeping. And it was almost like one sheet at a time. I remember that. And, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and as it got within the last, like, two weeks before the, the moving truck was arriving, we were just wholesale taking boxes and uh, saying, yeah, goodbye, and throwing it into a huge pile in the yard that just went to the dump. And we just said goodbye, just cut the cord. And it was very liberating. And our lives feel simpler. And we think of, you know, the shui, the feng shui. There's just not all this accumulated garbage clogging up your life. And cruft. Cruft was a word. Like at Netflix, we described cruft. Things clinged to it as it's trying to move. Uh huh. It's like, can you just get the barnacles off the bottom, right? (laughs) And but so, I like stuff. But I sometimes have, there are some babies with the barnacle. But I know, but you, so, you have to let go of those things. But and I it's have okay. to balance this. I I love having stuff. I I like collecting things. And you know, I grew up in a house where Dad collected stuff, and I, he's doing it for a reason. He comes out of the depression, and they have some pathology associated with but what why am i i'm doing it because he did it i guess right or like i just and i don't do it so it's like okay you can do that one but i don't want to do i don't want all that stuff (laughs) (laughs) like why do i got the stuff I lo- it's so freeing. Things like the fire were so freeing. Of being with de- with great stuff comes great responsibility, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> um, hmm. I mean, all this talk we're doing about magical thinking mm-hmm. and imbuing the, these objects. It maybe somehow by keeping these objects, it will ultimately lead to a more complete understanding of yourself as if that was a useful goal or a thing that exists is it self- <laughs> or a temporary satisfaction. Is it self-reflection or is it, but because the pictures are also, also kind of a deception. Like, so, is it self-deception? You, do you want to make a memory, make it into something that is a certain way? You know what I mean? It's like, I choose pictures that are kind of romantical and fun. I, I also choose to try to remember dark moments and n- not to make it all the sunsets. You know, that's what makes it fun. The, these quick slices are not always rosy. And, and the collection of those is another way of slicing your reality, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm only going to collect the, the ones that actually look good. Um, but it's it's I love how it's like you're building yourself out of cloud upon cloud upon cloud of of kind of decisions about things. I'll collect this. I, I won't collect that. These I will throw away. These I will pull out more frequently. That's really the question for everybody is like, what do you want to keep? And why? And why? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, we're going through our life, but 
ultimately we're dragging around stuff and we hang on to certain things. Do you want to remember nice things? Do you remember, do you want to remember dark things to show how much you've grown to feel that? Do you want to try to forget those things? Or do you always want to remember that moment? That was a, a hardship. And we invent these mythologies, right? And that's what it is. You're creating the artifacts, the story that supports, I don't know, what you want people to know about you, what you want to have done in the world. Right. You, you're creating a hallucination of the truth, which is what the science is showing that we do. We only get the information that we interpret as something. The thing we interpret as vision is still just, you know, an electrical spark, mm -hmm. um, a neurotransmitter, something mm -hmm. that our brain says, ah, that's, this is what that means. And there are only the pieces of, of sensation that we receive, the pieces of memory that we have, and our brain fills in the rest. Oh, yeah. That's what yeah. it does. <laughs> You're right. Wait, what's with it? You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, you've hit the nail on the head. You finally arrived that, at the truth. You've arrived. You've made it. You've made it. I feel but like... so constructing ourselves by constructing our memories and and um, visiting them to the degree that they need to be reinforced or the degree to which we feel we need to challenge what we remember with what was actually there. The, the conversation I wanted to have about psychotic motion, you know, you walk into a room, you see this room or, or you're walking down the street, your eyes darting from these kind of random points and... And you're only getting data from those little spots where your eye stops, which is not everything else. Everything else is kind of blurry. You know what that out of fovea area looks like. There, If your eye does not, for whatever reason, make eye contact, you know, pinpoint a certain thing, your brain is going to decide what was in that area and it will... It will not see things. It will put things there that it thinks should be there. And that's how you get it. You know, it comes in like that. You know, you see what you want to see. It's really true. It's literally true that you see what you want to see. Or you see what the past imprints on your brain from other experiences would assume would be there. Right. Most logically, based on its necessity it, to fill in those gaps. It's like in Jurassic Park where they used like frog filler DNA to fill in, you know. Yeah, they it, shouldn't have done that. They was that was terrible. a really big mistake. <laughs> but that's what we do. We fill in the DNA between those spots with the with the frog DNA, and it's a really big mistake. You see, that's you don't really see what you think you're seeing sometimes. And you can be certain you saw it, that you know it. All those crime things where the witness definitely saw this or that, and then it wasn't there. So it is so the picture taking is just playing into the same fiction that we create in every other way about understanding what's going on around us and how we want to remember stuff. Yeah, but it's consistent with the way we do things. So mm -hmm. that this, here, this is the world we have and we are the creatures we are. So take, taking photographs and, and uh, thinking about what they are and figuring out how long to keep them and how meaningful they are, that's just the degree to which that actually means something or is something as opposed to the degree to which it's just a, a made up thing. Those rules are the same for all of everything we do. So it's all 
in the world. When you transfer stuff from the old media to the new media, did you keep the old media anyway, just in case? Or did you dump it? Did you like unload it? I, I basically haven't transferred anything. It's every, everything's where it was. Oh, God. Yeah, you're not going to be, I think you're not going to be able to see a lot of that stuff, like technologically. And it might be okay. I, and I might be okay with that. Since I don't even know what's so there anyway. So it's about anyway. the process of shooting. Like, like we we go through the motions of doing this thing, but you're not doing it for the end product. You're doing it for the process of watching something differently. I don't know. I think I have personally found a way to justify doing as little as possible. And if it means <laughs> letting go of things, then I'm like, okay, that was sad for a moment, but that's part of the process of grieving and then I let go of it and that's okay. It's gone. It was wonderful it's and a, now it's, it's gone. It's really just like a hair farther back from remembering it. Well, yeah, it's a different way of dealing with it. You need the object to have the memory. It's, right. Uh, that, that, that just makes me think of Harold and Maude where, you know, the, the, where Harold gives Maude a oh, ring, ring, an engagement yeah. ring, and she loves it. And they're sitting in this beautiful romantic location, and she takes it off and hurls it into the water. He's shocked, and he's shocked. And he's shocked, and she is like, I'll always remember this, and I'll always know where it is. And it was a beautiful thing. And for him, the object is the point, and for her, it's the moment in the memory. Harold and Maude. I went, I went through a, um, a period where... Um, Jonah had painted stuff at Petroglyph and we had a ton of it, as you can understand. And it has sent, you know, it's sort of, it's sentimental to have things that your kid has done, but like at some point it's just trash and you've just got a ton of it and you have to get rid of it. And I didn't want to just chuck them. It felt un, I don't know. Some of them were nice. It still didn't want to keep it. And so I went through a process of photographing them. And to me, it felt like, a way of taking the moment forward in time in a new, more transportable, <laughs> more malleable kind of way. I don't need the object. The object doesn't, I'm not imbuing the object with the magic. It's that it was created that I will remember it. And so the photo is exactly qualitatively the same as that object. Yeah, we're tra transferring the soul from this thing to that thing. So it thing. is just like Isn't your that thinking thing, yeah. right? That's exactly what it is. It doesn't matter. I can let, it's just the body. It's just the, the corpse and the soul moved with me. It's with here. I like taking pictures of stuff and then coming back and assembling that way you choose to remember something. It's like you're just making something out of those moments, right? Most of them aren't going to make it like they're not going to last that far, but they're, but they're not ephemeral, right? I like making a, a physical object out of it. You know what you're doing is you're taking a moment and in taking it, you're kind of creating it. It's a way of experiencing the world. Um, you know, taking little, little bits of mm -hmm. your life and putting it away and taking it with you um, and making that choice while you're living it. So it's a way of being active in the world to be actively interacting with the world. It's having a life. Mm -hmm. it's, it's creating moments while you're discovering them, I guess. It is being conscious in that moment. And every time you take a picture, you're being conscious in that moment. 
And Mm -hmm. so even though I've always kind of thought of it as um, taking yourself away from the experience, which might be true, um, and let your mind actually, whatever it takes away from that experience is, is actually your honest emotional memory from that time. And you were actively engaging with that world and not being with your camera. But by being with the camera, you are actively engaging with that world and creating your life, but it's a different way of doing it. It's a funny duality. It makes you more present and less present simultaneously. I remember the first time I videotaped uh, Tom, you know, one of the Thomas and Kathleen's births and walking into a situation that I was not prepared for of what I was experiencing and being able to put the camera in front of my face and suddenly I wasn't there in the same way. Um, I was, it was transducing it and I could take it in its throttled form. It was just too much. I r- was thinking when you said that of watching dad operate on an eye, which I thought would be the most gross, disgusting, you know, turn green, faint producing uh, thing to just, watch. Just hearing you say that makes me think that. <laughs> right. Just think of how awful it is just to touch. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So imagine. Yeah. 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 So I, I didn't think I was going to be able to handle it, but I really wanted to see it. And it turns out you drape the patient completely and there's just this one hole cut out (laughs) where the eye is and that's where they're operating. And it really stopped being part of a person and started being a specific thing they were working on, which for me made it palatable and fascinating and and kind of, I I really enjoyed watching it. The disembodied of it yeah because once you can relate it to yourself in in any Ugh. kind of really tangible way when it stops becoming i mean i'm just trying to explain what i think my experience was um it became okay but when you put it the person back into it it is like oh eh, eh. it's like watching someone else getting kicked in the balls you just, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> you just feel it you just feel it I was saying that it feels like way sometimes when I'm shooting nudes, you know, it's just too, it's too much to be there live. You can't handle that, the energy in that situation, honestly, but having a camera there, it's like the camera at the birth. Suddenly I'm not there. It's, it's being, that energy is being transduced and I can handle that energy. Everyone's got this now. Everyone can have this experience, right? Where you're both more present, you can pay more attention to the what's out there around you as you move through your world. So it's like, here's the magic of that. It's that the device sort of protects you. It protects you emotionally from, from what's happening. It protects you from the distraction of that emotion, um, from that specific involvement is like um okay you guys have your conversation pretend i'm not here well are you there (laughs) you know you pretend you're not there and that gives you the freedom to see things and be involved in a certain way i don't know it's but it's a way it's a kind of a a, it's it's like someone feels like if they have their camera they're protected they do well i remember hearing i think i don't remember who it was a war correspondent talking about war photographers frequently get killed they will like stand up in the 
in a firefight with people on opposite sides of them feeling like the camera makes them invisible and invulnerable in some way. Like they're not just standing there where people are trying to kill each other. And it's a weird phenomenon of holding a camera and not feeling certain kinds of danger. and Or you feel it, but it's still transduced in some way by this thing. I wonder if I was jumped from that to picturing a, a medic. Somebody who's got a big badge on them that says, medic, don't <laughs> shoot at me. And I wonder if having that, you have to create a belief that, that gives you some kind of protection just to be able to survive the experience. Well, this is, speaks to your magical thinking. It's like you imbue that, the uniform with these magical powers that somehow you're not human. Because you need that in order to survive the experience you're having. Even if someone said, uh, do you believe in magic? Do you believe that this thing actually protects you? And I think in different situations, you'd say, well, no, objectively, it's ridiculous. But boy, when you're there, you have to believe. So you have a consciousness of this trick you're playing on yourself. And yet you actually, I think, go all the way. There's another duality. Do you have things that you imbue with magical properties? Trying to figure that out, I'm sure. When you have a scent, if I would describe something as a sentimental attachment to something, a teddy bear, when it, Alina has uh, one of her old pacifiers hanging on a thing in her room, and I have that same, I sort of fetishize, you know, we have objects that we kind of raise up just because you've held on to it at a certain point. You can't get rid of it now that because you've held on to it. I have little stones and things that really, I remember the moment I collected it and it didn't really wasn't an important moment in my life, but for some reason it's still around and it makes it more, I'm, I'm 55. Like I'm going to chuck it now. <laughs> it's like a, this little round stone. It's like, or it, it I, so am I, you know what that's I mean? Right. And, and, and that's right. And that's right. You're describing an experience I think about. Um, I have a few things like that. They are things that I have not purpose, purposely thrown away and said, yeah, I'm done with you. They are things that I, when I do come across them by accident and open it up and it's like, oh, that arrowhead mm -hmm. that, and that rattlesnake rattle, mm -hmm. you know, little icons of, of collected junk from childhood that meant something at the time. And maybe all it meant was this is something I chose to collect or mm -hmm. keep. And just the discipline of keeping it to see what it's like to keep something mm -hmm. um, gives it its own value. Well, as, as when you're a kid, you imbue these things as, with some sort of, you know, it's your favorite blank for a time. and Or maybe this is valuable in some way, not like for money valuable, but it's rare, right? This, this oh, no, everybody has a shark's tooth that size. Mm -hmm. uh, how about this one? Oh, yeah, there are only a few people have them that size. And yeah, well, this one's going in the collection. It's special because mm -hmm. it's it's rare. But other than that, it's you know, a tie it, to childhood in a way. It's it's a fun story to tell when you show it to people. Any of those things are possible, I guess. You know, this reminds me of, um, I, I told you, Paul Hoffman and I went out to the dinosaur dig in Wyoming back in, well, I don't know when it was. The 18. Late, late 90s. Although we were in like, I don't know, Medicine Bow or somewhere in the edge of 
anyway, we're um, out there and there's a dinosaur dig going on like a mo about some middle of nowhere kind of place. And I get up and sort of leave the area where we are and I'm just walking around. And after long periods of walking and you're out in these fields of nothing for long periods of time, I found a fossil. It was super cool. I can't remember what it was, but it was like a little neat thing. It was broken and, and I, I was excited to have it. I remember being excited and walking along. And it was later that day I found another one and I kept that too. And I was, I was still cool with this, but soon after that moment, I found another one that was in great, like a beautiful, like it wasn't broken and it was in great form. And I made one of those sort of triage calls, like I'm going to throw out one of these, but if I'm going to keep, I want to keep a couple and this one's a better specimen. And I had them in my pocket and was walking around. And we, at some point later the next day or a couple days later, we're out in another part of the dig and there's thousands and thousands of them. They're all over the ground in this one area. And I feel sort of stupid in a weird way. I've got these two kind of crappy ones that I found. It's like the things that I thought was valuable, the context of the whole thing. I don't know. No, I agree. My, my confusion over the value of things will explain a lot of my behavior. <laughs> I, I love the scene in um, Blow Up with the guitar yeah yeah yeah. Tell it. yeah in the very you know hot nightclub scene mm -hmm. in in the little boite at the end of the alley there's there's like the hottest guitar players in the scene in in the 60s and he breaks the guitar during the performance and all the fans are all scrambling on the ground to get a piece of this icon, a piece of this broken guitar. And it was the most valuable thing in that room at that moment. And a little piece of the guitar neck gets kind of shoved out the door by accident. And some bum is walking along looking for valuable stuff, comes across this guitar neck, looks at it, throws it away, it's just junk. <laughs> So how do you know what's valuable, what makes it valuable? It's like there's no rule. It's like you develop an emotional attachment to something for whatever reason. You collect it. So it's magic, right? We imbue it with its value. Well, yeah. Here, This one has all the hope that maybe it'll one day be valuable if I hang on to it. A popsicle stick collection. You started as a you kid because you might think... You had all those popsicle sticks in your closet. I had, I had all kinds of stupid stuff that I just thought, oh, this would be fun to collect. Someday I'll make it into some really cool piece of art or build something out of it. Or, you know, you hear somebody <laughs> making a ship in their basement out of toothpicks and you go, yes, I'm going to have more toothpicks than anybody. <laughs> I'm going to have all the rubber bands in the world. I'm going to have the biggest ball of rubber bands and I'm going to make something amazing. Yeah. I think I told you this, but... Um... When you went to college, you left your button collection in your bedroom, right? You know, on the wall. And um, like kids do, I kind of took took them into my room, and they became part of like my button collection. And yeah, people... like kids do, like all kids are thieves. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> your older brother goes away. It's like your stuff in your room is fair game. Come on, <laughs> you didn't. You left it didn't it's just stuff right it's just it became stuff when you took it <laughs> but i got but i took your buttons and then because i had a button collection people would give me buttons for presents because they knew i had a button and 
in no time, you know, in a couple of years, I had like I had like a really cool button collection. And I remember at some point you coming home from some vacation and I felt guilty for having taken some of your buttons. And I told you that I was going to give them back. And you were like, what button collection? <laughs> what, are you an idiot? I didn't collect buttons. And I thought... <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I thought I was like imitating you in some way. <laughs> I was thinking about Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. Hmm. Jerry Lewis always assumed that Dean Martin was out drinking and partying with girls every night. And he was just sitting at home reading. He was just a quiet man, a thinker. Like <laughs> and Jerry Lewis says, I led this wild life, sort of assuming that that's what Dean was doing. And so that's what I was supposed to do. That's a true story. I think so. I, I uh, reinterpret I believe- things and fill in the blanks. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Was that Martin and Lewis or was that Abbott and Costello? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I have to go spatchcock my turkey. <laughs> Do you need help? Does one need help spatchcocking? I don't know. I might need an verb? opinion on something, is like it... a surgeon. Do you think we should cut here? Where mark the cut? Do we sh- <laughs> now? Do we shroud the turkey so we don't? So we don't. Uh, so of, you if, well, don't if identify. You, it if you as identified turkey. with the turkey, I don't want to hurt you. <laughs> uh, let's wrap it up. This episode was recorded and produced in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos, and post comments. Please leave reviews and ratings on iTunes, and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks to Mitchell Foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out with us. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.